This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The history Ladies and gentlemen, ghouls and ghosties. <laughs> it's uh, spooky time here. I'm going to give you a little intro here. You ready? And you guys can you guys can join in when you get the when you get the gist here. It's film history, the history of film. That's right, everybody. It's spooky season at here at Film History, the history of film, and all around the world. It is October as we uh, record this right now. It's October second. And this will be coming out, I think, October 6th. And so we're uh, we're getting into the spooks, y'all. We're getting into the spooky season. Hope everybody out there is enjoying this 100-degree uh, beginning of Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very hot here. It's very hot here. L.A. is LA is still holding on to that heat, baby. You know, I mean, the town that, bo- that birthed Motley Crue just can't get rid of the heat <laughs> up next the doors on klos <laughs> i don't know why i'm in i don't know why i'm still in uh la radio voice right now it's one of the few holidays i decorate uh my apartment for because i like to feel the season yeah uh i you know i, I don't like halloween i don't like october coming and going because it was such a big part of like growing up like i loved halloween you know what i mean like spooky vibes all the way around and then i got to college and it was it was still palpable because, like, you know, you're, like, surrounded by yeah. campus and everyone was abuzz about, you know, getting into the Halloween parties and dressing up and stuff like that. And then you move to a city and, you know, you're in the you're in the cold reality of the adult <laughs> world and uh, people just don't care as much anymore. But, you know, Dev made a good point uh, off air just a bit ago. Halloween, Hollywood is Halloween all year round. <laughs> you know, it's it's just yeah. as scary here all year round as <laughs> it is in October. Just as many people walking around the streets in costumes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So it's even great. harder to like feel people the, are people yeah. are stabbing people. Yeah. You know, even harder to feel the season differentiate itself. Then and you know, like it doesn't. You know, like you mentioned, like the seasons don't really change here, so it's not like just fall leaves on the ground. Yeah, like, yeah. So yeah. like putting some jack lanterns and purple lights around my apartment like really helps bring <laughs> it in. So I love well, you it, know man. the relationship between Hollywood and Halloween. It goes back to the beginning of Hollywood. Like Halloween, such a cultural thing. In the West, in like a celebration that some of the first movies or silent films are all kind of, you know, dramatic and a little off-putting and scary, all the way to like, you know, Dracula, 1931. You know, that's when Dracula first jumped out. So, you know, I love longevity. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we, we learned in an Osiracha episode that that was the first movie, right? That was the first movie we ever made. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first time a camera had ever rolled on anything ever. Yeah, and they got they they found a real guy who like looked exactly like a vampire. Yeah, they basically, it was like, can we make a movie around? They just you? caught a motion picture on a real vampire. <laughs> Go back and listen to the Nosferatu episode with special guest Shelby Scott. By the way, that was a really good one. If you want to, it get was an amazing episode. It was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. 
And one of you know, it's go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Dad. No, sorry, go ahead. One of the things I will maybe for the Patreon. I don't know if we'll do it for the regular, but I'd like to do this month in light of spookiness is uh, an episode on the Phantom of the Opera. Because that oh, was a movie. yeah. I mean, it was a, a, a show to play in a book and stuff. And then they made it into a movie back in the early 1900s. And then it became like yeah. the musical and been successful. Yeah. But there's a lot of cool lore and everything behind both the screen and the stage elements of Dude, that property. Even, even the newer one, man. The rock opera, the new one with uh, Jared Butler and Patrick Wilson being all hot as shit. Yeah, uh, man. They're yeah. awesome. I, I yeah. actually, so I've met and sung with Patrick Wilson before because of doing musical theater back in the day. He's from Sarasota in Florida, and we did a hurricane yeah. benefit together. And the year after oh, wow. that, I was the um, Phantom in Phantom of the Opera in Tampa. Wow. So dude, it was kind of crazy. It, that's awesome, dude. Holy shit. That's amazing. Damn. That's, it was fucking, a lot of that's fun. an honor, but it's man. A, it's, you a have cool, been... it's a cool story, man. And it's like I didn't the know. Fil- I, I didn't know I was doing a podcast with one of the Phantoms from Phantom of the Opera, bro. <laughs> I mean, it awesome. was like a local stage show. It wasn't Broadway or anything. Hey, but, you know. hey, you were still the Phantom. Dude, should we do the intro? Gerard Butler has been the Phantom. There's not a high benchmark on this one. You've shared a role with Jared Butler. Exactly. I would love to be Leonidas. Come on. I love Jerry. Jerry's awesome. Old Jerry. (laughs) Old Jerry. Instead of the Halloween theme, should we be like Phantom of the Opera theme? I'm like, I almost sung that in the big. Bum, 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 bum. Now it's going Halloween. Yeah, for sure. This seems like way. This seems like way more of a musical. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Musical endeavor. That's what I was saying. Like, let me do this for a Patreon episode. It's like a one-off later. Later this yeah, month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I dig that. Um. Uh. No, I'm I'm down to to cover the uh to cover the concept of. I'm yeah. saying the intro sounds like a lot more of a musical endeavor. <laughs> um. I, so. I have something related to this. It's not a film per se, but it is something I want to talk about. So I'll let you get into what this is about. And then I want to, uh, speaking of Phantom of the Opera, it reminds me of something. And I'm wondering if you guys have ever heard of it. Um, but go ahead and get into yeah, our, our, gonna, our subject. I'll get into it right now. We are going to start off spooky season, October. I'm sure you've heard the spooky intro by now. We're getting way into the holidays here. And we are going to start off this spooky season with an episode about cursed films. Films Ooh. that have left people dead, maimed, uh, broke. Just films that were not only a nightmare in your traditional sense of making a movie, but also a nightmare uh, with real horrors surrounding it. And okay. So you're just going to go through every film we've made together? <laughs> yeah, every yeah. film ever made. Yeah. Um, before we dive into this, though, um, and because we've we've floated around the idea of doing like the history of everything, like write episodes about other stuff. Maybe uh, if I can find information about this, maybe I'll put this in. Maybe I'll write an episode for the Patreon about this. But have you guys ever heard of the show? It only aired for one season back in the er, like late '90s, early 2000s, uh, called Murder in Small Town X. No. no. This was a uh, reality game show built around the idea of people going to this fictional town called Small Town X, and they had to solve mysteries 
to like hunt down like like solve murder mysteries basically. Okay. And there were two teams and stuff. And I it's been so long since I've seen it because I literally saw it when it was coming out as a kid on TV. So yeah. a lot of details are foggy. But I remember like the, the way you got eliminated because there was like a lead detect. There were two teams I think, and there was a lead detective on each team. And the lead detective was in charge of like. It's like sussing out the clues and like man, like you know, managing the crew and stuff. And like he had to make the final decision on where he thought the uh, like where he thought the clue was. Uh. And if you and it would always be like a cornfield or like a haunted like or a haunted chapel or something like that. And if you chose wrong, you got murdered. Wow. Not really murdered, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like still you're, really. like, you're exploring like an old house with a flashlight looking for like a box of a clue in it, not knowing that if you chose wrong, like someone's going to jump out, like yeah. sk- kill you and you're eliminated. Like that's the way you got eliminated from the show was you saw you you put the clues together wrong and stuff. Dude. And so I, I had like – I had always wanted to rewatch this and I tried to track it down and it was nowhere. It's what? not – I couldn't find it. it was, I never it's found everywhere on YouTube. Okay. Uh, is it is the whole show on youtube dev is the whole show on youtube season one two three four five six seven okay well i 11 months ago see 11 months ago though i was looking for this like years ago and i couldn't actually murder those people for sure I, I was looking for years ago and I couldn't find it. I have no idea where these people found this archive someone must have literally taped it on like vhs on it's on fox it's a fox show Yes, I know, but they like they never they never made a DVD of season one. And they never made another season because the guy who won died on nine eleven. Wow! What? Yes, the guy who won died on nine eleven. So they never they they just they canceled the whole show. They never made another season. They never printed this season onto DVD or VHS or anything. So the only record of this is someone must have just recorded it on a VHS while it was happening on TV. They murdered those people. Bro, this looks There's really no crazy. Okay, well, first, I want to cite my sources here today. Uh, there is, I was, I was bopping around. By the way, every October, I get Shudder. Um, I highly recommend everyone getting Shudder. It's on Amazon now. I think it's eight bucks a month right now. An all horror network. It's been out for a while. The app is really cool too. But it is, it has like every horror movie you want for spooky season. Um, I think it's like eight bucks a month. It's really cool. But I was gonna, I was gonna do today on Halloween, but I shifted gears. Uh, today I want to do cursed films, and I want to cite Shelby Scott, famous host of Scare You to Sleep, because years before she would become Apple's new and noteworthy, and then our special guest for the Nosferatu episode later on in life, she was in a studio apartment in Koreatown writing articles for like a nickel each for this website. Uh, I don't. I guess I'll shout it out. 1428elm.com. She was writing articles for that, and one of them that she wrote was all about cursed films. So I heavily look. It's going to be a chill episode today. I did not go to the Library of Congress to research <laughs> this. I sat in my home last you night. Didn't and, interview the victims. No. Of these, of these films. <laughs> no, I'm not even. Maybe even we're going to give the inflation calculator a break today. It Whoa. is like just chill. Not going to get super deep. If you want to just get October started off, this is a good way, I think, to just, like, you know, hopefully uh, the, the weather's cooling down and stuff, and you can just chill to some cursed films on film history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cue the lightning crack. So, Deb, the first one I want to talk about is actually I'm going to save that for the end. <laughs> the first I one wonder, I want to talk I wonder if there's ever going to be an episode where we don't switch gears and tell the audience <laughs> we're switching gears and yeah, then yeah, where we don't pivot in the middle right <laughs> when we start. 
I necessarily tell the audience the thing that we thought we were yeah, going to do that we yeah, never yeah. told you we were doing it's is not habit. what we're doing anymore. It's a habit. We just want them to know to we're really bad at our job. That's all. Yeah, yeah. it's a habit, and I'm sticking to it. Here's the episode you could have had, but this is the one you're getting. <laughs> uh, the first one I'm going to talk about today is 1976's The Omen. Ooh, I, yeah. okay. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. Do you want guys want to know a fun fact about the Omen? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Damien's the main character in the name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, name character, main name of the main character, right? Yes. That was almost my name because my mom was going between that and Drake because she was a really big fan of the movie The Omen. And what? I was, yeah, I was like, Mom, why did you almost name me after the demon child from the from that wow. scary movie? Yeah, so my name was almost Damien. She was just preparing for you to be the spawn of Satan. <laughs> She's like, that would be cool. That's a good position to hold. <laughs> That'd be cool. Look, this is <laughs> Meet My Little Cherub Baby, Mar- Marilyn Charles Manson, Damien Lucifer. <laughs> <laughs> well, this episode of Drake History, the history of Drake. <laughs> Man, your your mom just wanted to name you Satan. Yeah. That's that's awesome. I mean And that is my only knowledge of this movie. I've never seen it. Yeah, and I like the newer one, the new one these days. The new one? Uh new ish. It was like two thousand six or okay. something. But uh it was very good as At well. At what point do we start calling movies from the odd like old, like classic. Uh, At what point do we say it's classic? At what point is a movie that came out between um, zero zero and oh nine a classic? I don't remember who said this, but someone put it perfectly. The future did not start until two thousand five. Like the nineties were still rolling strong until two thousand five. <laughs> you know, for sure. I think anything made before then. We should go by number of people ago. We should be like one person. Ago before us is an old movie, and then two people ago is classic. Yeah, The Omen is this is a terrifying movie already, but I think what was going on around the movie is even creepier. There was some really creepy stuff that happened while filming The Omen. First of all, the Catholic Church caught wind that they were making this thing, and along with a few other films, this was not like a, a very uncommon thing, but basically, they were urging. To not make this movie. Really? Well, yeah, they did not want... Well, what's what's the movie about? Like, Can you give us just like a, the back-of-the-box synopsis for yeah. those who haven't seen it? American diplomat Robert, played by Gregory Preck, adopts Damien when his wife, Catherine, delivers ah. a stillborn child. After Damien's first nanny hangs herself, Father Brennan warns Robert that Damien will kill Catherine's unborn child, and shortly thereafter, Brennan dies. And Catherine miscarries when Damien pushes her off a balcony. As yeah. more people around Damien die, Robert investigates Damien's background and realizes his adopted son may be the Antichrist. Yeah, dude. Cool. This movie is creepy. The creep factor is off the fucking charts with this movie. It scares the shit out of me every time I watch it every year. Highly recommend watching it around Halloween. It is you know, the 70s had something with horror where it was just this extra creep factor with, like, the way that films were lit mm-hmm. and shot and everything. Just the right amount of grain. Yeah, like, things mm-hmm. were creepy even if they didn't mean to be in the 70s. Yeah. So when they made <laughs> movies like this, it was really yeah. scary. Was it The Shining in the 70s? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. That was right around the same time where people were, yeah, like, Kubrick was doing his thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like I said, the things that were happening around this movie, so... Gregory Peck booked his flight. They filmed this in uh, the UK. Gregory Peck booked his flight, and basically due to a scheduling conflict, he missed the flight. Um, And so the plane that he was supposed to be on 
took off for the UK, didn't even make it hardly off the runway when a bunch of fucking birds, a bird strike happened to the plane, took out the engine. Plane goes down at the end of the runway, crashes, killing everyone immediately on board. Crashes into a car that is driving by, and it was the pilot's wife and daughter in the car. They had just dropped him off to, like, go get on the plane and go fly. He kills his whole fucking family. That was the plane that Gregory Peck is supposed to be on. That is, like, the first sign of... And also... That's not the only plane thing. There were two guys, this, the guy who wrote it, David Seltzer, and the producer, Mace Newfeld. Both of their planes on the way to set were struck by lightning. Both of them. Wow. <laughs> this movie was fucking cursed from Jump Street. Wow. Was yeah. uh, was this an adapted screenplay? Was this an original? Like, where did the, where did the conception of this movie come from? Oh, like I said, this is going to be super fast and loose. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> this is super fast and loose today. <laughs> I honestly didn't do a ton of research because mm-hmm. the thing is, is if I had done... There's five films that I'm about to tell okay. you in this episode. If we did, if you did deep dive, this would be an eight-hour podcast. This eight-hour podcast. Yeah. And I want to kind of – so what I want to do here today is set this up because I think what we're going to do is on Patreon have a full series of cursed films. Mm, and we're going to go – That's where we'll deep dive. Yeah, we're going to go cool. super deep divey. But today yeah. I kind of want to give you like the uh, trailer version of this. Sure. It's still going to be – Yeah, a full episode. A full but episode. Yeah. But, yeah, you couldn't even make it to the set. Like, it was like God was trying to stop this from happening. Or the Catholic Church, either one. Maybe they maybe they were, like, radioing into God, you know, telling them to stop this thing. Cease this. Cease and desist. <laughs> um, yeah, so then the people who actually did make it and didn't get struck by lightning or whatever, they were staying in a hotel in the U.K., and their first night staying in this hotel, a restaurant down the street was bombed by the fucking IRA. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, was this, so this was in Ireland? No, it was in the UK, but the IRA oh, okay. was also striking places around here. I got some uh, some cool facts about this. Yeah, um, please go. One of the special uh, effects, effects supervisor, John Richardson, was involved in a horrific car crash that claimed the life of his assistant. When he came to, Richardson looked out the window to see a sign pointing to the Dutch town of Omen. Yeah. <laughs> And it was 666, like, however, you know, kilometers. Miles or, or kilometers or 6.66 kilometers away or whatever. Yeah, it was really weird. And his assistant, who died in that plane cra- or uh, in that car crash, got, like, basically decapitated the same way that someone did in the movie. That Whoa. famous scene where a, a, a glass, a window falls off a truck and, like, Cuts this dude's head off. Yeah. Same shit happened to her in real Whoa, life. Oh, that's and, a yeah. weirdly specific way to die. Yes. And like Dev said, the man came to and there was a sign that said Omen 666. What? When he woke up. Dude, that is... I know why this movie was cursed from the beginning. So yeah. the, the composer, a pioneering composer, used satanic Gregorian chants. Oh uh, and as parts of the soundtrack, which changed movie soundtracks forever and won him an Oscar. Holy the main, shit. The main theme of the movie, Ave Santi, was nominated. And that's what won the fucking Oscar. So wow. I'll give you a, a little taste of Avi Sun. This movie was, uh, high, it was, it was really credited with bringing on like the Satanic Panic as well. Like after this movie, people became 
really afraid that their kids were possessed by Satan. Oh, my God. <laughs> and or my mom anyone. was like, I should name yeah, my kid after yes, that. Yes, yeah. This Weird is, choice, Mom. I mean, I've talked to you about that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> when you told me that, I had already done a little bit of this research, and I was like, why? Did she, did she watch the movie? <laughs> We'll have to get on the podcast to explain herself. I think that were you so conceived cool, in a theater while <laughs> right. watching The Omen? Yeah. Are, are you the Antichrist, Drake? That's so wild, man. That was a that's a pretty interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they didn't go with it. They they decided on Drake. So. I will name my son the Crow. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go with it. Uh, oh, my um, God. There's a scene in the movie where she drives little Damien through a safari park, and all the animals are going fucking nuts. Like, they know, you know, this kid's a demon or whatever. So they do this scene, and it was actually very scary. Uh, the actress was actually terrified The you know, these, like, fucking monkeys were attacking the car and shit. Well, the animal handler who handled that scene, who trained all the animals to go nuts like that, the day after he wrapped his scene, the next day, this man went on to go do another movie, and he was on set there, and he was scouting locations out somewhere, um, and he had a bunch of animals you know, that were going to be used on set the next day, like lions and tigers and a bunch of shit. He left his door open to his cabin that night, and a fucking tiger came into his cabin and ate him. What? <laughs> <And> killed him. <laughs> yeah. Can't oh my god! That. <laughs> yeah, that tiger's just waiting for that opportunity. Oh. When's he gonna let the door open? Give me that door open, dude. That tiger was possessed by Satan. We yeah, were was the tiger was, was just under... pissed off from being whipped all the time. That's all yeah. the tiger was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, was he, like, underfeeding him or something? Like, aren't lions, like, and tigers, like... Listen, they, they, any they don't tiger the in thing. captivity is fucking... Or- they don't understand any one of them. Right, but, like, they're right. not, like... They're not, like... They're not like crocodiles. They don't take pleasure in the death of others. It like, are, curse, don't they man. only eat if they're, like, hungry? I mean, it was the curse. I don't know, man. It's a fucking wild cat. I wouldn't make any of those assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't leave my door open. That's for damn sure. Yeah, uh, just for don't real. Leave your- yeah. Just don't leave your door open, period. If 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 1970s. Yeah. I mean, let me ask you this: <laughs> Would you leave your door open on the fucking Sahara at night? Yeah, seriously, <laughs> dude. I, not even just yeah. a tiger, just like a four foot yeah. mosquito coming yeah. in. You know, like that's enough yeah. for me. Uh, fun fact: I think crocodiles are only animals that like kill for pleasure. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. They look like it. <laughs> Thought that was humans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, so next up, wait, wait, hold on. Oh so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, for the in the Omen, uh, I looked up the kid because I was just curious, like what he played in. This is the only movie he ever played in. Whoa, he, he probably died. Uh, no, no, he he got arrested <laughs> later, but uh, he um, well that and he came back in the sequel as a tabloid reporter, so he played like an extra uh, in the sequel. Wow. Um, Dude, he was also he... in a TV movie, uh, Gunan the Savage. I'm pronouncing that way wrong. But uh, yeah, he just played a, a young a young kid there. But yeah, he was the only really ever, ever in the Omen. Interesting. They fucking yelled at him off screen to exert real reactions. They did it like Kubrick style. Really? So they probably traumatized the shit out of him. That was wow. one of the things about that baboon attack that I was reading about is that um, it was the the guys took the male tranquilized the lead male and stashed him in the back of the car so when he woke up the fucking baboons were super pissed and the animal response was genuine as as well as Lee Remick's terrified reaction that's what wow. it says so wow. I was like oh God. fuck 
They just like tortured these goddamn. No wonder he got eaten by this fucking tiger. Look what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. no, for sure. You know, that's interesting that you say that because that is one of the themes here. Most of these cursed films came from this era of filmmaking because wow, bad these... producing. <laughs> yeah, it was bad producing and 1970s directors, man. The directors of the 1970s were basically like megalomaniac, <laughs> yeah. you know, like get the shot no matter what. Yeah. I will torture my actors. They were really it was They almost, all went to the school of Hitchcock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They all went to Hitchcock school. They all went to and it was basically they were doing like method directing, you know? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. They were creating real nightmares for their actors to live in, basically. Yeah. You know? Method directing, that's yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about John Landis here in a bit, but that I'm gonna end off the episode with his whole fucking thing. And that man deserved to go to prison for a while, to be honest. Wow. But uh first we're gonna go into the exorcist. On that uh, demon train, uh, the my exorcist. favorite horror movie of this era because Absolutely. it's amazing in so many ways, but it's also the first horror movie that I sat down with like all my childhood friends and our dads when we were like seven to watch. Totally. And these were a bunch of like Catholic private school kids and me going to public school, and they were terrified. And I just laughed my ass off because of all the practical effects and everything. Oh, yeah, it dude. was, it was so great. It is, man. It, that movie is, man, her crab walking backwards down the stairs in that one scene, like, haunted my dreams it, as a kid. Yeah, man. this is your mother sucks cock in hell, right? Yeah, That's yeah, this yeah. One? Okay, yeah. Cool. Where her head I mean, turns all the way around. She fucks herself with a crucifix. <laughs> Fuck me, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> is that a line from the movie? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so rad. So fucking it. rad, dude. Yeah. She, uh, they, they went all out for this thing. The pea soup vomit cannon that's so famous in this movie where she just like <laughs> projectile vomit that's the yeah. first time we saw that just yeah. like a stream straight out of the mouth from like a fire hose and they've parried it they've parodied it so many times they like on a scary movie you know like they've done snl skits that that vomit scene is so famous yeah so it's the head turn absolutely well so a lot of people if you do a little bit of research in The Exorcist. It was definitely a curse film and was absolutely a nightmare to make. Um, one of the most grueling movies to shoot, probably. Linda Blair and Ellen Burstyn, who both shared the role of uh, Reagan in the movie, both suffered permanent damage to their spines from this movie. Whoa. There's a scene in the movie where it's Linda Blair and the one where she's slamming back and forth on the bed. Uh-huh. They only did that one. That was the take they used. Ruined her back forever. Really? Like, she was getting slammed. And if you watch the movie, I mean, you can see it happening. Wow. And when they show the behind the scenes. That's it's, the take we used. Yep. That's <laughs> the take they used, man. And it was, a, yeah, William Friedkin is the director. And we're going to get into it. This guy, I mean, definitely deserves props as a director, but was kind of a skeevy dude. He, he did some very weird stuff before, in his life. Before we get into him, what do you mean they shared the role? So Linda they Blair, twins? they thought Linda Blair was a little too young to be playing some of the parts where she's like, Fuck masturbating with a crucifix me, yeah <laughs> yes so they brought in uh ellen burston who was a little bit older she played some of the scenes okay. in the makeup in the bed yeah oh, okay because yeah. there's so much makeup you can't really tell yeah exactly okay. yeah. how did they, wait uh, or do you get to how the other one ruined her spine 
Oh, yeah. They threw her across a fucking room. Ah. Uh, they had a scene where... That'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. They had a scene where she gets pulled across the room, and basically the first time William Friedkin told the guy who was controlling the, uh, you know, the harness that she was hooked up to, that scene, I want it to be, like, a really explosive. Like, mm-hmm. yank her, basically. Mm-hmm. And he and, like, three other dudes yanked her across the room and slammed her up against a wall and fucked her up. Like, and wow. it's, it also is in the movie and wow. you can see actual pain on her face as well. This is like, I think, uh, as, as actors, we should negotiate terms to where if we get injured during a scene, then they use that take. You should pay us triple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Dude, he, William Friedkin went around. He, uh, he made it really cold on set because he wanted you to see, people's breath in the scenes. He wanted this, like, cold aesthetic, basically. So it was, Mm -hmm. like, a refrigerator in there, this, like, meat locker that he has. And he would go around and he would slap people. He would, like, he would do crazy shit. And this is, like I was saying, these 70s directors. They were just, like... (laughs) The directors. Yeah, like, I'm going to tell a story here in a bit where a guy just fired a gun on set. Wow. Because it just, like, scared the shit out of people. Yeah. It's just, like... That'll do it. That'll do it. (laughs) He wants to, like, keep you on your toes, you know? (laughs) Yeah, uh, the set kept catching on fire for some reason. Like, they kept having fires on the set. William Friedkin had a priest come and pray for the crew and, like, bless the set with holy water. Apparently, a fire happened and burned everything around the bedroom set, but the bedroom set was okay. And they were getting, like, real weird vibes from this whole experience, basically. Yeah. Um, And (laughs) there was... An actual murderer on set, actually. What? Yeah. There was an actor named Paul Bateson, and he was in the uh, in the hospital scenes. He was one of the, like, the doctors in the hospital scene, and in real life, he was a radiographer, and he was like a radiology guy. Um, they got a bunch of real hospital people to be in this scene. William Friedkin just like basically said, do you want to be in this movie? You know? Well, this guy, he was a radiographer, and he actually appeared as a radiological te- technologist in a scene. William Friedkin watched him perform a cerebral angiography in real life the previous year and wanted him for this movie. And in 1979, Bateson was convicted of the murder of film industry journalist Addison Verrill and sentenced to a minimum of 20 years in prison. And while he was in prison, William Friedkin, the director, would go visit him and found out this dude was a murderer he killed a bunch of people he was like a serial killer basically yeah (laughs) and william friedkin this guy basically was um he would hook up with guys gay guys Mm -hmm. and then kill them that was like his whole thing he was like i heard about this guy yeah yeah this guy was terrifying talked about this whoa yeah he was implicated in a series of unsolved slings of gay men in manhattan and that, so William Friedkin goes and visits him in prison and hears all these stories and is like, you know what? I want to make a movie about this. This is a great idea. And he made <laughs> <laughs> he made the movie in 1980 called Cruising. And a lot of people might know about Cruising. Cruising was this movie in 1980. It like really broke a lot of boundaries. Um, and it was basically about like the leather scene in New York, you know, like mm-hmm. the gay leather scene. Mm-hmm. And it's about this guy who goes around killing gay men 
And it was inspired by this real dude who Friedkin was like homies with. Wow. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. In 2012, Friedkin recalled <clears throat> having visited the jailed Bateson prior to his trial and having a conversation which suggested that either Bateson had committed the additional murders or merely that he was considering confessing to them for a lighter sentence. However, there is no record of incriminating evidence by some of the murders by Friedkin in that interview. Blah blah blah. Basically, it was this. It was this very weird relationship between a director and a serial killer, and <laughs> as as there are, as there are, and uh, that guy disappeared as of 2021. No one knows if he's alive. No one knows where he is. The Exorcist was doing like every faux pas in the uh, cultist satanic book. They had that giant statue of the actual demon in the movie. And as they were building it, uh, everyone who was involved in religion in the world basically was saying, do not build that statue. Those statues are supposed to be like little, like, wear-around-your-neck amulets, mm-hmm. and you're building a huge, like, Satan Satan trap, basically. <laughs> <laughs> they were building this, like, statue of this demon, and they were they filmed it out in Iraq, where the actual demon that they were basing the movie on was actually you know like this true story Hmm. they basically like conjured the real fucking demon that they were representing in this movie you know yeah no wonder this thing was conjured let's go to the desert and conjure up a demon yeah next to his house for the film (laughs) yeah uh he's an assyrian babylonian demon and king of the demon winds and son of the hanbi the god of evil wow jesus (laughs) yeah man yeah I I just uh the god of evil the god of evil dude. <laughs> I was gonna say god of evil well, at the trip yeah. <laughs> If if that god is gonna be anywhere buried, it's definitely in fucking Iraq or Babylon and Assyria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, they basically were looking to actually have this demon show up on set and just get some like. Yeah, I don't want to say the name of the fucking. Demon, yeah, I don't honestly. blame you, man. I don't blame you. I'm I'm good too. <laughs> I like don't. I don't even want to Google search this anymore, truthfully. (laughs) (laughs) This is the thing about these movies. It's like, I'm so glad you made them and they're so creepy, but like making that sounds like a nightmare. There's a lot of movies that I want to make that I'm just not going to. (laughs) There's a a difference between, like you said, this is like method directing and you're playing with like fucking shit that you shouldn't be playing with when you're just trying to entertain people. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nosferatu and like Crowley are like, a great example of that, it's like you know? dude make up a fake demon you know like it doesn't have right. to be a real you know demon it was a great movie that did well some would argue they're all made up so i i think that's the that's the yeah. energy going in is some like, would argue that not me <laughs> you know uh, you know else evil dead great movie nobody nobody died no was demon you know what else a little nicky great movie fake demon fake demon <laughs> fake demons brother fake business this was a huge marketing thing for this movie as well. Let's be honest. Like, the thing was actually fucking cursed from the get-go. People are dying all over the place. Making this movie, they, they summoned an actual demon, for God's sake. So, it was gangbusters. Like, everyone flocked to the theater to see this thing. You know, people, they had heard the tales coming from set, and everybody wanted to see this fucking cursed movie. And, dude, people were... It was like mass hysteria was happening 
during this film. There's footage of people coming out of the theaters after watching The Exorcist, fainting, vomiting. People, like, ran from the theater screaming, like, often. It This movie caused a panic. Whoa. Yeah, and this was part of that satanic panic. You know, you're talking about a time where everybody is on this new acid strain, you know, everybody's <laughs> on like the, the, the sunshine strips or whatever those shit's called, the smiling, sunny, whatever, <laughs> and going to watch The Exorcist. You know, this was a terrifying time. acid and go watch The Exorcist? Oh, my God. And and also, that, but. It, was, it was the 1970s when also serial killers were like everywhere, you know? <laughs> there was as many serial killers active at the time as there were like rock bands yeah. you know it's just like which one are you going to be murdered by was the question <laughs> dude they did a uh they did the premiere of this movie in italy they did next to this like old ancient 400 year old church and during the screening of this movie during the premiere the cross on the church on the 400 year old cross was struck by lightning during the premiere <laughs> i thought you were just gonna say it burst into flames Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> It basically did. Linda Blair, after this movie, not only was her fucking back destroyed, she couldn't go anywhere without uh, bodyguards. The studio had to hire bodyguards for her to do the promo tour for the movie because people were convinced she was actually possessed by Satan. Oh my god! And they were like, "So fucking dude!" They were throwing like holy water at her and shit. Like people come up and like put a cross on her forehead to see if she burned. Basically, like shit. Yeah, and she was a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. This movie was. I love this movie. Don't get me wrong. The Exorcist is so good, and it's so good for spooky season. But the it, there was a lot of sacrifice going into the making of this film for That's sure. Wild. This, this film is so crazy that Stanley Kubrick turned it down making it. Wow! Whoa. I did not know that. Whoa. 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 Stanley Kubrick's like, nope, nope. Not for me. I'm gonna go do something wholesome like The Shining. Now, like The Shining. That's a great idea. <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make something that's gonna cheer me up. Like the shining. Dude. Even Kubrick was like, Nope, nope, nope. I'm not nope. touching this. I'm on too many drugs to be conjuring <laughs> demons. No thank you. Was he? Dude, they uh no, probably not. Uh, he was one he of those. Pretty was, straight he was probably just his weird. His drug was the fear of his actors. Yeah. That's so what got him. His off. drug was insanity. That's what his drug was. I'm not going to the demon's house to film the demon movie. No thank you. I'm good. <laughs> I'll make the shining about Jack Nicholson being a fake demon and torture an actress. Anyway. <laughs> well, we'll move right all along. We're going to chug right into 1982 here, and we're going to talk about one of my favorites ever, and I'm sure it is one of you guys' as well, and a lot of people listening, Poltergeist. Woo! Woo! Yeah. I'm not familiar with this one. I'm familiar oh, that exists. But you never I, watched it? No, I've never seen it. Oh, yeah. man. Which I've never seen the other two either, but I, I'm, I'm more aware of them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know them. what Poltergeist is about. So good. I mean, yeah. it is, you know, it's well, so like... Wait, you know what Poltergeist 2 is about or Poltergeist 3 is about? Is that what you mean? No, yeah. I, I just like I, I'm aware of those other two movies. I've heard of them. I know the plot, basically. I, I don't really know anything about Poltergeist other than it is a movie that exists. Wow. I yeah. was making a dumb, bad joke. Oh, I didn't get it. <laughs> no, dude, you got to watch it. This is one of Spielberg's. Like, oh, yeah. it's a Spielberg yeah, movie. Yeah, this is a Spielberg. He wrote it, actually. Oh, and it's a yeah. spooky? 
Oh, it is a spooky. Oh, okay. It's cool. one of the spookiest, in my really? opinion. It's just it's it a, makes me be like, don't ever piss off Steven Spielberg. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. It wasn't directed by Spielberg. It was actually written by him. Ooh. Tobe Hooper directed uh, Poltergeist, who also did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and all that's all that good stuff. But um, this is one of my favorite old movies. I mean, it is a a, a suburban family. Craig T. Nelson. And his family buy a house in this new uh, this new suburban development, and turns out this thing was built on top of an old Native American burial ground, and there are uh, many a ghost. There are many ghosts haunting this house, and it is called Poltergeist because it's very literally a poltergeist who moves chairs around and shit. So you've never seen it. That's interesting. Spoilers, but also everyone has seen this scene on YouTube somewhere. Mm-hmm. The wife is in the pool that has been dug out, but it hasn't been filled yet with concrete or anything. She, they dig this pool in the backyard, and the whole climactic scene where it's like storming and it's coming to this big head, the, the fight with the poltergeist, basically, uh, she falls into the unfilled pool that's now like filled with water and just mud. And all these skeletons pop out. These bodies that were buried underneath the house start popping out all around her. Well, the skeletons that she was surrounded with, probably like six, seven of them, were real skeletons. Oh, what yep. the fuck? Yes, they were oh, they very got real. like cadavers and shit, right? Yep. Holy yes. shit. And it is so the funniest thing to me. Did she agree to that or they just Method directing. Method directing, baby. Like, Tobe Hooper was the title like, of this episode. <laughs> dude, method directing indeed. So... It's really funny to me. Craig Reardon, the guy who did the special effects for Poltergeist, did an interview. And when they asked him about, you know, this movie led to, or not led to, I won't say it like that, but this movie involved the also the death of a few actors and actresses surrounding this film. And everybody kind of said, well, you use these real fucking skeletons. You probably cursed the movie, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, no wonder this thing was cursed. And they interviewed the special effects guy, the guy responsible for the real skeletons. And he was like, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. We've been using real skeletons in movies for years. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he literally said these words in an interview. He said, it's all about the fucking budget. Oh, my God. Oh my god. Spoken like a true special effects crew. <laughs> Holy shit. He talked about god like God bless crew. God <laughs> bless him, man. He was like, whatever, man. Look, William Castle was using him in House on Haunted Hill in the fifties, and Frankenstein in nineteen thirty one used a real skeleton. He went into all these like examples of real skeletons wow. and he's like, It wasn't my fault. <laughs> all right, look. <laughs> even even the Walt Disney animation of the skeletons used real skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky skeletons. No, he said uh, the foam latex used to make real skeletons look aged and stuff. They needed to be baked to make them look like that, and fake bones melt in the oven. So, you know, he was like, let's just use some real fucking skeletons, and we'll we'll kind of make them look Where do you get them from? Local universities. They they actually have throughout history for films have been using skeletons from science labs and universities and if you donate your skeleton to a university you could be in the pictures you could be in the <laughs> movies basically like and this was a thing that's and, and to think they don't even get credit they don't even get credit and this was right around the time where something similar was happening in a in in an episode uh, on the Patreon that we're gonna do the full. 
uh, Apocalypse Now story, they used real bodies in that as well. They were, there was a wow. scene where all these bodies were hanging from a tree, and those were all real people. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah, just real corpse. Director Steven Spielberg had to save a little... Oliver Robbins, who played the young boy during the clown scene. Oliver Robbins was being strangled by the clown so ferociously that Spielberg noticed he was going purple and generally Jesus. struggling to bleed. So he managed to wrench him free from the clown Good and save the day. See, wow. this, this is the lesson, people. Sex robots sound fun, but they will kill you. <laughs> Sex robots will kill you. Those things don't know their own strength. I mean, you're fucking a Roomba, you know? Like, it's going to strangle you. It's going to murder you. Sex robots are going to kill you. I'm just saying. They probably... I thought, I thought it was just some guy in that costume. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. It might have been like, you know, one of the one of the PAs or something who just wanted to kill a kid. It was the same. Not this method. You're too much. You're, You're too much, too man. You're too deep, brother. You're saying there's a guy on my sex robot? <laughs> <laughs> it's just being puppeteered by Frank? Uh, yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there there were some deaths around this movie, unfortunately. Again, a lot of people attributed it to probably using like actual bodies on set and shit. Uh, the first person to die from this movie was very tragic. Um, the actress Dominique Dunn, who played the teenage daughter in the movie, uh, in the first one. She was strangled to death by her ex-boyfriend, actually. She was murdered at 22 years old uh, right after making this. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, she was killed. The whole thing was weird. I think she was trying to break up with him. It was like an abusive relationship. She was trying to leave, and yeah, he killed her. He he murdered her. And her on-screen little sister, Carol Ann, that's like, when you watch the movie, Carol Ann is the, she's the one who in the first movie gets sucked into the TV, and they have to rescue her from, you know, the other dimension and shit. You gotta watch this movie. It's a wild movie. It's a wild movie, man. Oh, they literally send a person into the other dimension to save Carol Ann with like a rope tied to her, and she has to go through a portal and come out of a different portal, and there's a séance happening, and stuff is flying around the house. Wow, it's incredible. It's a whole movie. It's a whole movie. It's amazing. <laughs> you didn't bury the body. You didn't. You didn't move the bodies. Yeah, Carol Ann uh, tragically passed away as well. She's played by Heather O'Rourke. And she died very young. I think she was about 11 or 12. Uh, she had an undiagnosed intestinal blockage. And she died from that. Uh, yeah, she was 12 years old. And again, you know, it is one of those things. I do have to agree with that special effects guy as well. Like, you can't you can't say she died because of the movie. Yeah. You know? I mean, one girl was murdered. Another girl was, died from shitty health care, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, like he said, I mean, they've, they've been using real skeletons for 100 years, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah a lot yeah. of people knew about it. Listen, Spielberg was a busy guy back then. You know, this was the same year as E.T., and ironically enough, they were released one week apart from one another in the box office. Yeah. Different audiences. Yeah. You know, I don't know if yeah. those are competing, you know. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you do, spooky you do one for the studio and one for Probably. me and this, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. guys was this for me the spooky part about E.T. is when Drew Barrymore wound up in rehab at 12 years old that's <laughs> the spookiest part probably <laughs> it's spooky for her yeah. um, does E.T. hold up maybe maybe because I, I remember it being kind of boring as a kid yeah 
And I feel like that movie was made for kids. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I'm bored as a kid and it was made for children, <laughs> I don't know. I gotta rewatch E.T. <laughs> we gotta rewatch. You it gotta watch Poltergeist. On the scale of how many one to how many edibles did you <laughs> exactly? <laughs> Dude, edibles. Hey, that's the answer to everything. Is this movie good? <laughs> it is. How many edibles are you on? The ride at Universal. I hope it's still there. I don't know if it is. It's been years since I've gone. Is incredible. It's like one of my favorite rides of all time. Yeah. So also fucking Poltergeist. They're asking for it, dude. The Poltergeist ride at Universal is not quite as good. <laughs> <laughs> These people were asking for it. So they did the sequels, right? The sequels are bomb as well. Basically, the, oh, the cool. sequel is... Uh, I mean, spoiler alert, in the first one, the house goes away. I'll just say that. Okay. Uh, they have to move into like an apartment or a hotel. It's like a condo, basically. And there's this old caretaker around the building. And he was played by Julian Beck. He was this like really good old horror actor and he was terrifying in the movie just this like really thin-faced man with a top hat he was kind of like every kid's nightmare to be honest i mean no disrespect for the man he was a great actor but he was terrifying as a kid like he scared the shit out of me even there's a scene where like he has like a skull face and that's very scary but even without that i was just scared of this guy you know um that guy died in real life the actor and for the third film they wanted to bring his character back so they took his fucking death mask that they made of him and made a prosthetic of his face and put it over another actor to play the character whoa <laughs> this dude that, works. Guy, that guy died <laughs> that guy died. that guy just probably like jumped off a building whoa <laughs> this dude was running around in his death mask on set <laughs> whoa they're just like how can we curse this movie like, think, everybody brainstormed different ways that we could bring upon, like, the apocalypse while filming this, you know? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, man. Also, big shout-out to uh, James Karen. He was probably the least uh, cursed guy of this film. He was... James um, Cameron? No. <laughs> James Karen was involved in this? No, James Karen, man. He was an old character actor. Um, he was the guy who said, you didn't... He was the real estate agent in the movie mm-hmm. who didn't move the bodies. Mm-hmm. Um and he was an old friend of mine, but he died at like 100 years old, so he was fine. Oh, you actually knew him? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. I knew him. He was an old friend. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. He died pretty recently, shout actually. Out. Yeah. Shout out to Jimmy. Shout out to Jimmy. You were great, man. So Please don't curse us from yeah. the afterlife. <laughs> of the three we've talked about so far, this seems like the least cursed-ish. You know yeah, what I mean? for sure. Some people died afterwards with some weird circumstances, but... And it's funny, too, because it shows. Like, watching this movie is a good, like, spooky time, but it doesn't leave you, you know, completely rattled to your fucking soul. Like, right. the omen. Yeah, or it's right. palatable. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's palatable. It's like, yeah. yeah. It's, I like that word. If you want, if you, yeah, I like palatable as well. If you watch The Omen... And the Exorcist back to back, you're probably gonna like die that night. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'll sleep. Maybe you will. Yeah. <laughs> At least with the Poltergeist, it's like, oh, that was cute. You know, like. Yeah, I go back to bed. <laughs> um, one of my favorite things to do 
um, is, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys is like, I like to superset my scary movies, so I'll follow up a scary movie with, like, a jolly cartoon. Oh, absolutely. Like, my I go... My dad used to have an old joke, and it, my family has always said it. He's like, well, now I gotta go watch I Love Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, I love going from, like, yeah, like, a... A scary movie to like uh, Ed and Eddie, yeah, you know, just like completely different vibes. Turn on, up. turn on the Cosby Show. Nothing yeah. <laughs> bad ever happened around that, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. I like to just watch a few scary movies back to back, and then pop a bunch of melatonin and five HTP and lucid dream about crazy. Shit. <laughs> Dev, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. I like to watch the Conjuring. How crazy and would that be if you like that's some? Yeah, well, that's less crazy than somebody trying to melatonin themselves oh. out into a horror movie. Oh my god, Dev's like, of- Dev's like, I like to, uh, I like to watch um, uh, Annabelle and then K Hole at the Cemetery. This is just like a spooky side story. Uh, we should keep it in the episode. I have to tell you when. I was a teenager, my friends and I, my friend had a barn that we would go out into. It was like, his parents had a little bit of land and there was a barn out in the middle of it and we would all go out there and drink and like smoke weed and stuff. And one night it was me, him, and like two other people, probably December, cold as shit. It was like damn near snowing outside, like 30 degrees. And he used to hook up a generator outside of the barn and plug in a TV to the generator Mm -hmm. and we would watch shit out there. And we watched, like, all of these movies that I'm talking about in this barn one night, like, 30 degrees at midnight. And I'm still, to this day, scarred for life. Still to this day. <laughs> now, That's spooky. What, did, Spook. you, did, your, did your pants come off before the movie started or during them? <laughs> well, we were actually all nudists, so they were already all off, you know. Teenagers so are all nudists. This wasn't a barn. It was more of a woodshed. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, my my biggest question about this is uh, what, what, like, what did you sit on? Like, was it just hay, hay barrels? Oh no, we had an old couch out there. Oh. It was a whole deal. We brought all. Okay. We would pick up. So shit it was still from, comfy. Like, yeah, okay. we pick up shit from like the side of the road and bring it to the barn. Okay, it was like neon signs and oh, people painted shit on cool. the walls, and it was awesome, dude. It was cool. like a two story huge barn. And we would just go out there and party and watch scary movies and people shoot at each other or shit like that. You know, it was fun. Cool. Number four. We're going to talk about Rosemary's Baby. Have you ever heard of this one? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This one's crazy as fuck. This is another one I've heard of I have no reference on. Yeah, 1968. Did not know it was a horror movie. Mia Farrow, John Cassavetes. Very, well, in my opinion, a very good movie. Some people people would uh, argue, but I I think it's very creepy, very spooky. Good one to watch during October, for sure, right around there with uh, the, The Omen and The Exorcist. But Rosemary's Baby was surrounded by curses as well. It was directed by uh, old Roman Polanski, who nothing bad ever came of that. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, old, you know, the rapist director. So we've established that kid diddling and mood curse <laughs> movies go great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they always tend to... It- some of these horror movies just compels the diddle. Yeah. Is the, is the is the last movie a wooden Woody Allen film? <laughs> <laughs> it's just Woody Allen in general. It's just him. He's the last horror. <laughs> I mean, it, 
any time I've ever sat down to watch a Woody Allen movie, I have felt like I'm cursed for having to watch the fucking <laughs> drivel. That is for sure. I felt violated. Yeah, instead of calling that movie fucking, what did he call it? Like violets in my ass or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Midnight in, Midnight in Paris, more like a life in hell, Woody Allen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> A life in hell, and then you marry him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, this one was directed by Woody Allen before Woody Allen, old Roman Polanski. Uh, it told the story of Rosemary and husband moving into a new home. And her husband is this uh, aspiring actor who is a real actor, John Cassavetes. Um, and basically, her husband strikes a deal with the devil that he's just going to sell his wife's womb to Satan. In order cool. to be a successful actor. You okay. Know? Yeah. That's reasonable. That's reasonable. Kind of like, I think John Cassavetes did it in real life, too. I think <laughs> he actually, that's... <laughs> so... Look, hey, it's not his womb. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck does he care? <laughs> this curse kind of had like a slow... This one started out slow, but it definitely picked up some speed. Um, it all started when... Well, I mean, it all started when it was directed by Roman Polanski, <laughs> let's be honest. But <laughs> but things kind of got rocky immediately. Mia Farrow at the time was married to Frank Sinatra when she started filming this movie. Mm. And, you know, that's the whole that's the whole joke about her son Ronan being Frank Sinatra's son. It wasn't Woody Allen's son, thank God, because Woody Allen probably would have, like, diddled him if he was, you know. Uh, but Probably still did. Probably still did. <laughs> Blood or, blood or not, kid, you're going to get diddled. That's the Woody Allen diddling oh impression. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shucks, kid. Time to get diddled. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> how, how, how many jokes do you think till we get demonetized? <laughs> <laughs> well, Woody Allen never got demonetized, and he did the diddling. We're just making fun of him for it. <laughs> he, got, he was fully monetized for 30 years after the diddling. So. <laughs> He's fully monetized. <laughs> There were backers. <laughs> Diddling backers. That's oh. all of Hollywood. These backers of diddlers, let's be honest. <laughs> Welcome to the Bank of Diddle in Hollywood, it's California. Of Diddle. <laughs> all of your dreams can come true. <laughs> please, uh. please submit pictures of your victims for approval. <laughs> Hollywood. If hey, if the kid's hot, we'll give you more money. If yeah. it's ugly, you get less money. Come on. Is a, why is there a couch in this casting room? Um. <laughs> I thought this was a daycare. <laughs> why are you running cameras? Why, why is there a two-sided mirror in the bathroom of the studio, you know? Um. <laughs> so you're just... You're in the bathroom at the studio, and a light comes on behind the mirror that you're looking into. And there's like a Harvey Weinstein standing in the room. You hear squishy sounds. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> Demonetized. That's it. <laughs> so, during the filming... During the filming of Rosemary's Baby, Mia Farrow was served with divorce papers from Frank Sinatra. Which, uh, kind of, you know, not a, not a great way to start a movie. In front of the entire crew, yeah. on set, on set, in front of the crew. <laughs> like, can you imagine that? Like a server, like probably like 
in disguise as one of the crew members, <laughs> like, you know, what's his face in Mr. Deeds? And he's like sneaking on set. <laughs> he's got a walkie like, talkie. As soon as he yells cut, he's like, or right in the middle of the scene, he's like, bam, there you go, Mia, you've been set. Dude, you know? and absolutely. During this time, during the 60s and 70s, if you walked on set with like a, uh, uh, you know, an old radio and a, and a clipboard, you could definitely get on set. This guy definitely <laughs> just snuck on set as a crew member. There's no doubt about it. Everybody's like, I don't know who that guy is. He's a fucking PA. You know, yeah. like <laughs> simpler times. Yeah, he, now he just get shot. He didn't come out of the PA cage, but I don't know where he came out of. You know, <laughs> um, she was served divorce papers on this movie. She also was forced by Roman Polanski. Well, she was duped into it, I should say. Roman Polanski had her eat raw liver on set, telling her it was like. A prop, and she was a vegetarian. Oh, you piece of yeah. shit! So that's the worst thing you can do to a human being. Yep, she was a vegetarian, and he like meat raped her, basically. Dude, that is meat rape. Yeah, yeah. meat rape. That's my big fear. Meat rape. My big fear is about door. being meat raped. <laughs> Isn't that Roman Polanski's nickname? Isn't it Roman <laughs> meat rape? <laughs> Isn't all rape meat rape? <laughs> this is staying in. This is staying in. That. <laughs> what Deb just said is tan in. <laughs> Roman meat rape Polanski. <laughs> so now we have another canon out there, ladies and gentlemen. Whenever referring to Roman Polanski and his masterpieces, it will now forever be meat rape. <laughs> Oh my oh. god! Oh my god! Maybe why we'll did just... he meet raper? He I, because he was. Why did he actually rape? You know, like <laughs> he's a rapist. I mean, this man liked to make women do things that they didn't want to do, no matter what age. That was his whole mo. You know. And, wait, 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 but like, what purpose did it serve in the scene? Uh, probably because it was the fucking late sixties, early seventies, and all these directors were pieces of shit, like machismo, misogynistic, horrible human beings who like to watch people suffer. You know, and. He thought it was fucking hilarious that this like lifetime vegetarian was eating meat. You know, he's like, ah, that's so funny. Like fucking method, 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 directing, 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 <laughs> method directing at its fucking Wait, finest. But- but was there, did he reveal that it was real meat to get her reaction on camera? Oh, absolutely. She's oh. probably like in the middle of eating it. And he's like, aha, by the way, that was real fucking meat. You to fucking capture like a, a scene of like a horrific face yeah. for him to use. It took yes. like a shit ton of takes. Yeah. He made her do it over and over again. So she had to have known at some point that that was real and kept doing it. And, and by the way, Roman Polanski, you could have given someone. Uh, hey, hey, hey. Meat, meat, meat rapist. <laughs> By the way, meat rapist, Roman meat rapist Polanski. You could always give someone a vegetarian option and tell them it's real. Oh yeah, and you probably and get the them, same reaction. And then tell them afterwards, hey, yeah. sorry, yeah. I, I need that reaction for the take. Yes, it's tofu. Yeah. But no, he gave her liver of all oh things. Oh my god. Even I'm not even vegetarian, and I'm not gonna fucking eat liver. Oh my you god. Know? Well. Well, to be fair, liver is like really healthy for you. I know. <laughs> I just can't do it. Just the thought of it being liver it just totally turns me off by it. That 
Drake is a vegetarian, so this is his worst nightmare. This whole conversation. Yeah, right yeah, I've been vegetarian since I was eight years old. Also, like, basically, can you imagine being meat raped? No, it's my biggest fear. My it's biggest someone, fear is being meat raped. Someone being like, "Haha, got you. I, I just broke your vegetarianism." Yeah, like, yeah. It's asshole. like I would, I, I, I don't, I would cry. <laughs> I, at first, I'd vomit, then I'd cry, then I'd murder. You know, you have all the same things in common with Roman Polanski's victims. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist, man. Couldn't you laid resist. it up. Oh like, my god! Oh like, my god! I cried. Sorry. Rapes. The producer, the producer of Rosemary's Baby, was actually the and from the the one and only legendary William Castle, who I just mentioned him earlier. He did House on Haunted Hill in the fifties. This guy was a uh, actually I just watched one of his movies recently. Oh my god, it was so fucking cool. Shit. Uh oh, the original 13 Ghosts. While we're on spooky time right now, I have to tell you a little bit about William Castle's 13 Ghosts. Do you know about the remake like 2006? I've never heard yeah, of this with, at all. Uh, with what's his face? Um I don't remember the actor's name, but he won a bunch of stuff for his TV show. Yeah, yeah. They remade it recently. It was good. I liked the remake as well. The original was in the 1950s, 13 Ghosts, and William Castle was this producer who kind of almost blurred the line between, like, um, shock vaudeville meets film. This guy would do these big stunts for a film, basically. So 13 Ghosts that came out... Uh, it was one of the first films to use basically 3D glasses in a way. And when you got to the theater, they would hand you two pairs of like 3D glasses. One of them would be blue, and one of them would be red. And if you put on the blue ones during the theater during the film, you would see ghost in the movie. But if you Whoa. put on the red ones, you didn't see any ghost. And Whoa. so the actors would be acting with like, uh, you know, 1950s version of, like, rotoscoping CGI type of shit, or, like, a double take, you know, or a double exposure thing, and you could either see it or not if you wanted to. It was very cool. Very cool. This guy was known for this shit. He would have... Going to a William Castle movie in a theater back in the 50s was, like, a whole experience wow, that's you know so cool. yeah he would do kind of like interactive things that's so cool is there any way to emulate this today like can you still buy those blue glasses and like if you just like stream it does it still work we've looked shelby and i looked at this for a while i think so i think you can still get like uh if you look on like the dregs of ebay mm-hmm. somewhere you can still get like this version but mm-hmm. i mean apparently it, it worked i mean apparently with the glasses where you weren't supposed to see ghosts you'd still kind of see them mm-hmm. here and there but also it was just this fun thing yeah you know? for sure so if you just if you stream it right now like it just has the ghost in it like there's a yeah. new cut where it just has the ghost yeah yeah okay. we just watched it with the ghost it was really cool so the glasses are in the movie the the glasses were an invention in the movie where when you put on the glasses you would see the ghost and so he did this so, for real that's so cool so i guess if you had the glasses on back in the day you know though you didn't see ghosts you would just be watching him react to like uh, something that he sees, but you don't. That's so you cool. Know? Thirteen Ghosts is so good. The original, the remake is good, but the the remake is literally like the new metal version of Thirteen Ghosts. Like it's like the, yeah, it was uh, Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub, and, yeah. Uh, a bunch of people you would know, but like the who's who of early two thousand. Back to Rosemary's Baby. So what was uh, besides the liver eating? Like what was cursed about this movie? 
besides the, the concept of Roman Polanski. Yeah, producer William Castle, he died right after making this movie of Gallstones. He actually claimed that Rosemary's Baby was cursed from the beginning. He said in the very beginning of the movie, we should not make this movie. And again, it was just sort of that trepidation, just like you had in The Exorcist, where we're dealing with very real things here. You know, you're talking about a guy selling his wife's womb to Mm -hmm. Satan for this kid to come and for him to have success. And it just really freaked some people out, Mm -hmm. including William Castle, who was the producer on the film, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, sure enough, I mean, again, you know. He had a gallstone. He had a gallstone. He died. But the weirdest thing was. It's not like it was a weird freak accident. Well, not a freak accident, but the composer, it wasn't a freak accident, but he actually died of a brain hemorrhage that almost mimicked the exact thing that someone died from in the movie. Whoa. Yeah. And so that was a creepy coincidence that was possibly part of the curse, you know? Yeah. I mean, when we're talking about curses around Rosemary's Baby, the Manson murders. Oh, that was around this time? That was around this time. Um, So, Roma Polanski, who was the director, while he was working on this movie, his beautiful... Excuse me, who? (laughs) Roman meat-raping Polanski. (laughs) Oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. I've heard of him now. While he's directing Rosemary's Baby, his pregnant wife at the time, Sherrod Tate, was hosting some friends at their home in the Hollywood Hills, and Polanski was in London, you know, working on Rosemary's Baby. And the night of August 9th, 1969, Sharon and the other victims were all brutally murdered in Roma Polanski and Sharon's house. Um, and we were talking about it. Steve McQueen was not there, even though he was supposed to be. You remember, if you go back to the Steve McQueen episode, we talked about the, uh, the, Sharon, the, the Sharon Tate murders there as well. Sure. Okay, well, Rosemary's Baby came out in 1968, and the Manson murders happened in 1969. Gotcha. So it was after. Yeah, so it was after. But so right after. Part of the curse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but right after. Right yeah. after. Polanski was in London when it happened, and a lot of people thought that that was part of the Rosemary's Baby's curse, was mm. this happening. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so far, the the plane crashes from the first thing we talked about yeah, seems man. to be the most like ominous thing. Yeah, the rest of these just kind of seem to be like coincidences. Coincidences, which are all coincidences, but these yeah. seem to be more unrelated ish. You know For what I mean? Sure. Like, there's I'll a agree whole with you on that, and it was a fucked up time in history where yeah. people were. I mean, the seventies. The reason like why... Rosemary's Baby didn't create Charles Manson. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he was already Mansoning or... before then. Or did it? <laughs> or did it? <laughs> but yeah, it also was. I mean, look, the late '60s, early '70s this is post Vietnam. Right after Vietnam happened, I, like we said earlier, I mean, this was just a very brutal time in history. To be completely honest, you had serial killers running rampant, and even the '70s. All of the films that were coming out of the '70s, we were talking about how they had this creepiness to them. And most of the time, they were so sad, you know? I mean, there's mm-hmm. the whole joke about, like, science fiction things. Science fiction movies that came out in the 70s were so fucking existentialist. Uh, <laughs> they, the, the birth of existentialism, mm-hmm. you know, in the 70s, that was going on. I think everybody was just fucking sad, you know? <laughs> and everybody was cursed already. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to think, during the 70s, they had, like, real-life serial killers, like the fucking Zodiac Killer that just... Got away with a bunch of murders nobody ever found. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, dude. Ted Cruz with Charles Manson. Mm-hmm. But was there anything? Uh, is there anything else crazy happened like on set of Rosemary's Baby? N- not that I know of. Okay. Number five. We're gonna bring it home. 
we're gonna we're gonna bring the end to the beginning of spooky season here on film history and i'm gonna tell you a story probably kind of one of the most famous cursed movie stories here is of course twilight zone the movie ah yes i was waiting for this one yes uh yes this is the 1983 film based on one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Uh, the original Twilight Zone, created by Rod Serling, is, I mean... I love it so much. I love it so much. As Shelby uh, very well put it here in her old article from uh, this, this website, the original Twilight Zone was one of the greatest TV shows ever made. Rod Serling eloquently smoked his way into our black and white nightmares, and America ate it up. And in 1982, they wanted to make the movie, The Twilight Zone, Mm -hmm. and everybody was very excited for it. Mm -hmm. It was a big hype moment of the 80s, and uh, things went very badly. Very, very badly. Interesting. (laughs) Was Rod Serling involved? No, no. He was dead. Oh, okay. He died pretty early. Rod Serling died mowing his lawn of rage. Basically. What? Yes. Rod Serling's one of my favorite. We are absolutely going to do an entire episode on Rod Serling. One of the angriest men in history. <laughs> really? Like, Rage might have been born with Rod Serling. Like, we might not even have... I'm untethered and my rage knows no bounds. <laughs> <laughs> this man literally had a heart attack mowing his lawn because he was so angry about something <laughs> mowing his lawn. Like, he's probably pissed at, like, the length of the grass or something. <laughs> he seems so chill in those intros. Dude, he was, uh, he was again, I mean, a boxer, of course. Like oh, my all God. Those guys back in the day, he was a boxer. <laughs> what? He Why? was... He wanted another guy to host Twilight Zone. He didn't want to do it. He just wanted to write it and create it. Mm-hmm. He wanted another guy to host. And the guy had like some scheduling conflicts, and he was so fucking angry. He said, fuck you, I'll just do it myself, basically. <laughs> and that's why he hosted the Twilight Zone. That's why we have him as the host of it, because he <laughs> ragefully took the job. That's <laughs> so funny. I can't wait for this episode. <laughs> I cannot wait. We might have to do this before the end of October. Yeah, this might dude. Be, okay. Yeah, this might be what we cap off October with. Ne- okay. I mean. <laughs> So either one of the episodes in October will absolutely be the Twilight Zone, and I will tell you about the uh, beautiful rage of Rod Serling. I'll put it that way. This man made rage an art. Like no one has done rage like this man. Oh man! So so he's long dead. He's long dead. He's and long dead. They decided he, in the eighties. Yeah, because he probably would have punched in whoever this was in the face who decided to make this into a movie. You mm. know, Rod Serling would have absolutely. He was rolling in his grave when they said they wanted to make this into a movie, probably, which is fine. I mean, yeah. well, I mean what do you even make a movie? I mean, I guess you just take a story that you would have told to make it longer. They did. They took some of the most popular ones. They took the, uh, you know, there's a man on the wing of the plane. Was it in black and white? No, this one was in color. Yeah. I, I I have never seen the, any of the colored uh, uh, episodes. I really don't have an interest. I feel like yeah. it loses something if it's not in black and white. Yep, same here. I can't do the new one. The the one I haven't that, even tried the new one. It's just not for me. I would it rather just, do Black Mirror. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like I don't know. Like there's something that's I feel like integral to the DNA of Twilight Zone that it needs to be in black and white. Absolutely. There's something unsettling about that. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't know. The movie actually is very good. I I haven't seen the so entire. So is thing, to it be one story or is it a bunch of like is, is it is it one? Did they take all these things and make one story out of them or no. are they like Wait, vignettes? No. for like vignettes? Yeah, vignettes. Like oh, vignettes. Yeah. weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Why not just make a movie? It was because originally they were going to, but then there was a bunch of falling outs on sets. Right. John Landis and Spielberg ended their relationship over this. Yeah. Film. Wow. They did. And also, it was due to another falling out on set, which ah. was a helicopter falling out. Okay. Ah. <laughs> so I'll get right into the 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 meat rape here. Um, <laughs> tell the, us the tell real us meat about and rape the of the thing. Death. Okay. I'll get into the child death, the vegetarian meat rape that is this movie. Uh, John Landis was charged with filming a segment of the film titled Time Out. And in the usual you know, vein of Twilight Zone lore, it was this man learning a lesson about racism and prejudice by being forced to live the lives of those he showed hatred towards. You know, He was a Jewish guy in an occupied France during World War II, and... He was an African American in the rural South, uh, and he approached like the KKK. It was it was genius. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really Twilight Zone stuff. Don't get me wrong. Um, the final thing of his epic journey here was he was going to be a Vietnamese man during the Vietnam War. That was the whole setup for this scene in the movie. Uh, it was actor Vic Morrow who uh, played this main character. With some kids, Micah Dinley and Renee Shin Yi, playing the two Vietnamese children. And, <clears throat> sorry, these two kids were basically, John Landis found them like on the street nearby. Um, this was already during the time where there were a lot of regulations with working with children on mm-hmm. set. And John Landis did not want to meet those requirements. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Past 8 p.m., you can't shoot with these kids. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. So, fuck that shit. I'm just going to go get some kids who I can pay in cash or whatever. And I'm going to... He basically illegally did this. It was hired these kids off the street without getting approval from anyone. No permits. Mm -hmm. No permits for these kids at all. Um, And... It, it was that was the beginning of the danger that he was going to put these kids into, and they played the children. And there's a scene where Vic Morrow's character is rescuing them from uh, a, a village being bombed in Vietnam. You know, he's saving them from warfare. So at 2:20 in the fucking morning, two o'clock in the morning, on set, July 23rd, 1982, uh, they are balls deep into this scene where he's rescuing these kids and things are already so dangerous. Like, these explosions, if you go watch the footage, there is some footage out there, and again, if you watch that Shutter docu-series that I was talking about, they have footage. Explosions to the point of the camera is too lit. Like, you can't even see things past these explosions. It's like cartoonish. Wow. These And it is this guy and these two kids with no permits on set, <laughs> you know, and things are blowing up so fucking big around them that, like, your hair is singeing off your body if you're within 50 feet of this fucking set. And they're, he's running across the river with both of them on his shoulders, and a helicopter comes flying in, and uh, they're shooting at them and bullets and explosions. It's like Waterworld the Ride at Universal, except for, you know, at 2 a.m. with an insane director, John Landis, who was like, yeah, yeah, more, <laughs> like, bigger, do it, yeah. get closer with the helicopter. <laughs> like, and the pilot of the helicopter is exhausted yeah. and getting way too close, like, way too low. Everything's going bad. 
<laughs> um, so eventually this led to a fucking disaster. So Landis kept ordering this helicopter lower and lower until it was literally 20 feet above the actors in the film. 20 feet. Holy shit. Like, it, That's too close for a helicopter. And the helicopter pilot told John Landis at one point, like, dude, I'm 20 feet above the ground, and these explosions are huge, mm-hmm. and I can't even see, see where, I'm, where I'm going. And if Not to be graphic, but their blades yeah. hit right on the three of them. Yeah. So it was a crazy freak accident. They probably would have missed, but look at that. It's just horrible timing. Yeah. He's oh, like, the helicopter pilot says, like, this is, in, this is insane. I'm exhausted. I've done this take, you know, 30 times or whatever. It's two in the morning. I can't see shit. Your explosions are so fucking big. I can't even see. And John Landis's response was, "If you think those expl- explosions are big, just fucking wait. Like they're gonna oh get my bigger." God. He he was on a trip, dude. He was on a power trip. Like this is a director gone off the rails. Right. This man had people without permits, unregulated sets, the most mm-hmm. dangerous set you could ever be on mm-hmm. and this ultimately resulted in yeah an explosion went off the pilot lost full lost control of the helicopter the helicopter comes down crashes into the river uh the helicopter itself crushed vic morrow the actor mm-hmm. and the blades decapitated and chopped up the children Holy basically shit. yes and everybody's watching. So graphic. Wow. So graphic. On set, cameras rolling. Cameras rolling. Holy shit. Full take. This episode wasn't cursed before. It fucking is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. This is one of the reasons why I was hesitant to even make this episode. It's like, I don't want to make a cursed episode. <laughs> but wow. we're good. We're good. We'll burn some sage after this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no shit. So Landis, he's on set. You know, he just killed people. I mean, let's be honest. Like... He just killed some people. Yeah. I mean, he led to... Th- yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you... Yeah, this is manslaughter, for yes, sure. If you create a circumstance where people die, mm-hmm. and you were fully, absolutely aware that that was a possibility, mm-hmm. this is almost like a yeah. weird premeditated manslaughter. Yeah. I mean, the man yeah. put people into a trap. I have a couple questions. One, yeah. did they use that footage in the final movie? No, they didn't use the footage yeah. of the death, but they used everything around it. Mm-hmm. They used the footage of the mm-hmm. helicopter, and the pilots died too, right, Dev? I'm pretty sure those pilots died as Does, well. That didn't look like something the pilot would live No, through. yeah, I think the pilot died as well. Uh, I'm burning some sage. Yeah, dude, good idea, good <laughs> idea. <laughs> so um, On camera. Yeah. Did they have, so the, the the lead actor for this like vignette died, yeah. did they have all the footage they needed to finish the story, or I did think they get it, a stunt double in for the, to, his final scenes? Like, how they finish this? I think they did a stunt double thing. They did the same thing for the poltergeist as well. After uh, Heather died, who played Carol Ann, they used, like, a girl who they would just kind of use the back of her head and mm-hmm. stuff, kind of like the Paul Walker thing, yeah. except for nowadays they CGI yeah. your fucking face over, you know. But um, no, I'm not sure about I. This became a huge thing though. Like, uh, by the way, after this happened, Landis literally just cleared the set. He was like, "Leave your equipment, go home, get the fuck out of here." Okay. Like everybody, get off set. Could you imagine he like, if he was take. like, "All, <laughs> All right, right, everybody, let's... take." <laughs> Could you imagine if he was like, yeah, everybody, let's take a five. <laughs> all right, get some coffee. Get some coffee. We'll reset. How long will it take again? We'll helicopter go again. Here. Yeah, seriously. I'm not. I he, that probably crossed his mind. He was probably like Tiger King. He's like, I'll never financially recover from this. You oh know? my god. Um. <laughs> so okay, so they clear set. 
and stuff. Um, is he prosecuted after this? So he went to trial. That was the thing. Mm-hmm. They did charge him with manslaughter. Him and a few other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few other people who were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, while he is being tried, by the way, he spoke at Vic Morrow's funeral. And it is some of the most tone-deaf shit you could ever hear. They have video of his speech at Vic Morrow's funeral. And basically, it all boiled down to, he gave this like quick speech, not really even emotional, just like cokehead coke energy off of this guy. And basically, he said like, you know what? It was really tragic, but he is uh, immortalized on film in this movie. Like... You'll, he's, he, he'll live, he'll live forever through the films that he made. It's like, well, bro, his body won't live forever because you chopped his fucking head off with a helicopter. You know, like, great. It's great we can watch him in his movies that he made before you cut him in half. You know, (laughs) thank you. Thank you, John Landon. Yeah, Yeah. I'm the John Landon. Holy shit. Yeah, man. So, yeah, don't speak. You said that him and Spielberg were friends until this? Yeah, they were friends until this. Yeah, Steven Spielberg ended his friendship with John Landon. Uh, as a result of the on-set helicopter crash. And the attorney, James Neal, defended John Landis along with George Falsey Jr., Dan Allingham, Paul Stewart, and Dorsey Wingo were all charged with involuntary manslaughter, and they were all found not guilty. What? Yeah. The jury basically said, like, oh, well, things happen on set. You know, that's Mm. that's just the name of the game. And, again, it... That is. I will agree with that. But also, when you... This is gross negligence. This is way gross negligence. Yeah. And it was absolutely a situation created that did get people killed. Yeah, including yeah, two yeah. minors. Yeah. You know, two that minors were not, who were illegally were, working. Yeah. Ex- yeah. yeah it, and their like, parents were on set, by oh, the way. Oh, shit. That because... So this... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, Tell go ahead. It was just their parents were on set because John Landis was like, look, I'm putting your kids in a movie. Come visit set. So they were on set for this whole, wow. and they were also terrified. Uh, one of the kids' mom said, "This looks really dangerous," and they basically said, "No, no, it's Hollywood magic. Like, you know, this will all come out looking really cool. It looks, it looks bad when you're seeing it, but it's not as dangerous as you think. Everybody knows what they're doing, you know? Mm. Yeah, someone did. So yeah. after all this, what Spielberg was so disgusted about Landis's public. Uh, like response and approach to this that he ended their friendship and then he went to the academy and called for an end to directors having complete control over a movie wow. saying no no movie is worth dying for quote unquote wow. from Steven Spielberg yeah. wow man so, so Steven Spielberg was like alright that's it Get some fucking producers in here. Yeah. You can't, do not give us the keys to the kingdom. We are irresponsible. <laughs> and can't handle it. Absolutely. Yeah, I see the quote now. No movie is worth dying for. I think people are standing up much more now than ever before to producers and directors who ask too much. If something isn't safe, it's the right and responsibility of every actor or crew member to yell cut. Yeah, George Miller also. He was so repulsed by the entire scenario, he abandoned post-production of his segment, actually. Um, but filming was already completed, so they, they edited So wait, everything. was this like the last scene they had to shoot? Like, was how did the rest of the movie get finished? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that one. I don't know the answer to that one. Um, but they did. They finished the movie. It still came out, and... This was a uh, this was kind of an ongoing thing with a lot of these Kurtz movies as well. Like uh, Poltergeist, everybody on set said after Heather died, 
um, they kind of wanted to pull the plug on the movie. Right. They were like, yeah. Carol Ann died. What are we even doing here? Yeah. You know? uh, but, of course, studios intervene. They send in stunt doubles and stuff. You still owe this product. There's mm-hmm. still contracts that have to be met. And yeah. there's still a lot of money on the line here. Yeah. And so I think um, money prevails. Mm-hmm. You know, money talks for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, th- this movie did very much come out. And like I said, don't get me wrong, good movie and uh, good Twilight Zone stuff. But you just got to know. I think everybody by now kind of knows what happened, but also I feel like it's important to know. You know, yeah. it's important to know what went into making this fucking movie. That's for sure. And all of these movies, all these damn cursed films. Burn some sage. Yes. And, you know, clear the room. This house is clean. <laughs> <laughs> this house is clean. Carolyn. But yeah, that was a uh, that was the first part of our spooky beginnings of uh film history history of film in october and i hope you enjoyed it uh there will be many more to come we're going to talk about in the next one that'll probably be for patreon for part two we're going to talk about apocalypse now uh that movie was extremely cursed the production itself was really the curse what <laughs> it was uh you know we're talking about people who uh martin sheen having a heart attack and coppola sinking all of his own money into this movie and like losing his house and you know uh dennis hopper <laughs> ordering kilos of cocaine with the movie budget oh my God. and we're also going to talk about one called uh roar which was a movie that involved the filming of a lot of lions and that movie also went pretty badly it was pretty much a nightmare for anyone who was on set basically if you were on set of this movie you either got bitten or mauled at some point by a fucking lion this is a great way to kick off spooky time Uh, a nice little overview of a couple different movies because uh it gives me five movies to watch this this october season yeah I actually haven't seen a single one of these. Man. So this gives me five movies to watch. And I've hopefully there's a lot of viewers out there who at least haven't seen maybe one or two of these. That it gives you something new to watch. Absolutely. Over over spooky time. Yeah. And don't worry, we are going to get into the obvious ones. We're gonna do Halloween. We're gonna do Friday the thirteenth. Uh, we're gonna have a friend of ours come on. Uh, my co-writer Nick is gonna come on and we're gonna talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And he's actually from the town. His hometown is the town where they filmed and based Mm -hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre in. Mm -hmm. So he has a lot to come on and talk about. And so, yeah, we're just going to do Halloween as Halloween as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, I say we turn out as many episodes as we can this month. Okay. Patreon, regular episodes. Let's do it. Let's really Halloween-y this shit. Cool. But that's where we'll end it off here for this first spooky episode of Film History here in October. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, Let's go ahead and drop our drop our shit right oh yeah so you can find me at drake cummings on instagram at drake underscore cummings on twitter at hollywood drake on tiktok uh you can find my clothing line that i just launched um at raging20smerch.com and i think those are all the outlets i have at the moment uh it seems like it expands every week uh dev where can they find you find me sailor underscore dev on insta and check out and follow abracadabra films for all of our cool shit we got going zones hell yes and you can find me 
at James Wyatt Scott on all the socials, and you can find uh, Film History, the History Film, on all the socials as well, FHHF Podcast, or Film History, the History of Film, etc. And you can also find me in the middle of the desert worshiping a uh, giant demon statue while a guy says, He didn't move the bodies! <laughs> And that was the film history. The history, the history of film. You know what I'm talking about.